And so then the words became real. And all of a sudden, and then it was like, forgive my trespasses. I forgive those who trespass against us. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, wow, God gives us forgiveness to pass on, to forgive other people. Like there's this amazing world that opens up in scripture that is like a whole nother world. It's the kingdom of God that is like, wow, it is so mind-blowing that I'm like, I wish everyone can have a taste of this because who wants to keep perpetuating the same patterns and behaviors and banging our heads against the wall and same fighting and the same addictions and the same, you know, it's just like, wow, like here's literally a narrow door to pass through into this vast abundance. That's Sherry Ann DeRoche, and this is The Stories That Brought You Here, a podcast dedicated to the stories of the people living in and around the Salish Sea. I'm your host, Chris Walkluck, and it's my pleasure to get to sit down with people to hear about the pivotal and life-changing stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. In 2009, Cher had a chance encounter with a gentleman at a music festival. This meeting would wind up changing both their lives. They got married, moved to a small Gulf Island, had a child together, and embarked upon a journey that included playing music, opening up a restaurant together, and so much more. Cher will talk about these experiences that she's had in her life with her husband, Matthew. As well, Cher will open up immensely, describing the difficulties that she faced being a new mother. These challenges that she had would ultimately lead her to developing a relationship with Jesus. Cher and I will talk extensively about this in the interview, and it was amazing. Cher is such a great storyteller, and... I found myself deeply moved and inspired by the journey that Cher has been on and everything she shared with me about it during this interview. This is a great one. Something else I'd like to share with you today is a service I'm providing to help people record their oral history. A lot of people think about recording a family member's life story, but sadly, never actually do. I believe that everyone has stories worth preserving and wisdoms to share. I'm providing an easy way for people to create a high-quality and comprehensive audio memoir for your family and future generations to cherish. The process would begin with preliminary interviews to become acquainted with you and your stories. Next, using professional recording equipment comes the recording process. And then I finish it off with creative editing techniques to bring out the best of you and your storytelling. The final recording is all in your own voice, and it is an amazing opportunity for your descendants to get a true understanding of who you actually are, but also functions as a set of footprints for family to follow. The lessons you've learned along the way, your personal reflections, life experiences, and family history. These recordings can be as long as you'd like, and I'm here to help. To find out more, you can email me at myaudiomemoir@outlook.com. Once again, that's all one word, my audio memoir at outlook.com. You can find that written down in the show notes below. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask me about this, I'd be more than happy to answer them. And now a little bit of music and then my interview with Sherry Ann DeRoche. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate you coming over to do this, Cher. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I put it off for a while because, I don't know, 
I feel like I don't have a lot to say. <laughs> oh, I, I know you have a lot to say. I don't know. Yeah, I just, it's, what do I have to say that is of value? Well, we're going to find out. Yeah. People are going to hear in the yeah. next hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot to say of value. But uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. and it's interesting how time works because I looked on the old uh, Facebook messenger there and I, I think that I contacted you a year ago. Oh. It, but it just didn't work out. funny, yeah. But uh, here we are. Yeah. yeah, divine timing. Divine timing. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, the first uh, traditional question of this podcast is what brought you to Pender Island? So what brought you to Pender okay. Island, Sharon? Um. Matt and I met in 2009, and we fell madly in love right away, met at a music festival, and uh, we spent every day we could after that and moved in together to a place in Cordova Bay, and then we found a place in Brentwood Bay that we moved to and bought a bowler, and we had it on our hearts. We're like, you know what? Let's sell everything, and let's go to Mexico. Let's just go on a road trip. So we had done all our taxes. I was always late on my taxes and, you know, not very uh, timely, but we got everything done. And, and then we had to go on a road trip to a wedding and my little niece was born. So we were doing this little tour around. And as we we're touring, we we're going to Calgary and driving around on our way back. We had a wedding to go to on Salt Spring. And we were like, well, let's do a couple island hops before we get there. And uh, so we're driving out to the ferry, you know, not knowing that there's like one or two ferries a day. So we had missed the morning ferry. And so we had hours and we're like, well, let's just drive. So we drove around. And that day I had really been feeling a call to set roots down, which was the opposite of what we had intended on doing. And at the time I was more spiritual, new age in that sort of realm so I would you know talk to the universe that's how I would uh, interact and I'd be like universe like what am I supposed to be doing like why am I feeling we've just decided we're going to sell everything and and go to Mexico why am I now all of a sudden feeling a sense of rooting down somewhere and so we drove down this little side road and uh, it was like the blueberry farm area and we couldn't turn around because of the the bowler. So we finally found a blueberry farm to turn around and we turned around and we got out and, and went to buy some fruit. And there was this, I think, um, a Sikh gentleman or, and he had his holy book and he looked up at us and he said, you too, you're so in love. He's like, you need to settle down, buy land, get married and have a baby. And we're like, just looked at him and we just laughed like, haha, you're funny, you know, and like bought a bunch of blueberries and we're like, that was not funny. And then we got in our uh, bowler and, you know, went across and our first stop was Maine Island. And um, it wasn't, wasn't my vibe. It wasn't our vibe. We're just like left Maine Island. We wanted to go to Saturna. Pender wasn't even a thought, but Saturna didn't have any camping. It was, you know, and I was like, okay, so we'll go to Pender. And as soon as we got off the ferry, on Pender and just went around the corner by the recycle place. We just both looked at each other and said, it feels so good here. And we just pulled around and we went to the market and we just started talking with people and we're like, wow, like these are our people. This is, these are our, this is our community. Like it just felt that these are, this is our tribe. I don't know. It just felt like we were at home. And so we drove around and I was like looking at the uh, realty boards everywhere. And and this was back in 2011, I think. 
And so we were, I was, we were looking at the boards and nothing was selling. It was back when it was a, a bit of a recession here, I think. And so houses were really reasonable and we were like, oh my goodness, look at this one. And, and we went to go look at one uh, across from the, the lake and had that day just gone off the market. And after the fact, we were grateful because it would have been a, a big fixer upper. And I said, well, there's this other one I really wanted to look at. And Matt was like, I don't know. It looks like it's a, a bit too dark, but we'll go check it out. And so we went up to our house now. And as soon as we walked into it, I just burst into tears. And I just was like, this is our home. Like, this is my house. It was such a beautiful little cottage, 620 square feet. It's just this little half acre and it just everything it was everything because when we first met, the first conversation we had was "What is your dream?" and both of us were like, "Live on an island with a rain barrel," and you know, and it was just so funny how we're like, "Here's this island home with a rain barrel and everything that our dream was," and uh, we're like, "Okay," so we found a mortgage broker and were able to buy our home, and it just was meant to be. So then we bought our place. Next year, got married. And then the next year I had a baby. And it wasn't until years later when all of a sudden I remembered that man. And I was like, oh my goodness. He literally, I felt, had a prophetic word for us. Like he felt like God spoke to him, you know, as I was asking, you know, universe, God, whatever you want to call it. I was asking, what are we to do that exact morning? And this man had said, settle down, buy land, get married, and have a baby. And that's exactly what we did. And And I didn't even... You know, you look back and you go, oh, there's all the pieces that, that that all came together. And this is where we're meant to be. I feel like God has planted us here for whatever purpose he has for us. That is amazing. It's that is mean, hey? one of the most beautiful stories Aww, I've ever heard told so about funny. somebody's uh, eventual landing on the island. Oh. But as but as soon as you got by the recycling center, as soon you guys, as we went around that corner, we looked at each other like, oh, it feels so good here. And a lot of people I've talked to, um, about their stories coming here and it was a feeling like as soon as I got here because every island feels really different yeah so and whoever lives there they're like this is my island like this is it's part of me and that's interesting too because come to think of it yes every island does feel different but that difference actually demonstrates itself very early on I find yeah you, you don't need to drive around no. for long to realize whoa no. this is not like Pender yeah. Island no here. yeah yeah, and uh, that's a beautiful thing. They yeah. all have a unique uh, quality to uh, to them. Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations on following that uh, delightful advice oh, and and uh, making Pender Island to your home. So maybe let's just explore how those uh, first five years went. Because you said you guys got married in the first year and you had a child yeah. in the second year. And then um, yeah. how did you and Matt find your footing on the island in terms of work and the experience that you had on this island? Matt um, was a drywaller. He is a drywaller by trade, and I um, was a hairstylist by trade. So I had a home business before I moved, and then I set up, uh, I rented a chair in the city. So I would commute to town, and he would commute to town because there was no work on the island. And he tried to um, find work, but uh, Danny Martin was the drywall man at the time and he had most of the business because that was where he was and and then we had phoenix and i thought okay well i can't work in town i think i'm just going to go to my clients homes and i think before you have a child you're kind of like i'm just going to have a baby and they're just going to fit into my life and it's going to be like no problem and so i 
got, you know, Phoenix and he was only six weeks old. I had a C-section. So I was like healed. I'm ready to go. Like, let's do this. And I remember like trucking Matt and Phoenix to house to house doing colors and hair and Phoenix crying, crying, and just, it was not a good experience. And and then having just go, you know what, I can't do this. I need to not do this. And just at that time, we were like hitting the bottom. We're like, we're like, we have barely enough for our mortgage payment. Matt was going to have to leave maybe to go to Vancouver to work. And um, I had a really hard time being a mom because he cried all the time and I was really struggling. So it was like my worst nightmare, him leaving <laughs> to go work in Vancouver. I was like, I can't do this by myself. And literally like that week, Danny Martin called Matt and said, you know what? I've been asking around about you and I've heard really good things that you're a family man and a, and a good man. And I would love to um, do a business together. You know, we do our own business, but we come together. And ever since then, like, it was just the most perfect blessing. And I just feel like, yeah, it's just been incredible. Like, in that their relationship, Danny Martin is a legend of a human being, and he is such a blessing to even know and to have conversations with and just be in the presence of. He is the most humble, sweet man. And for Matt to, he always calls him my Danny, <laughs> and he, to work with him, he just feels so grateful. and. It's been an honor. Yeah, I agree with yeah. all those statements. And for those oh. people who listen who don't know Danny Martin, our yeah. uh, local baseball diamond is named yeah. after him because he's been coaching the kids for yeah. like 127 years yeah, or something. It's like been that. a long time. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> no, but maybe 30 <laughs> years. And, uh, 50, I think, wasn't it? Or what? Really? I don't know. I think it's like, yeah, wow. a long time. He's a legend. Like. Yeah. Absolute legend. People throw around the word legend, but literally, uh, honestly, he is yeah. a legend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fantastic yeah. guy. So that's kind of amazing, right? Like that when things looked like they Absolutely. might not be working out, then totally. a phone call happens and then stability yeah. happens in the world of yeah. uh, Matt's work and drywall. And then, so you guys also are known because both of you are quite musical. Right. My husband's musical. I'm not. As you musical. really? Come no, on. I'm not. No. Sure. And it's funny because I'll, I'll let the secret. I'm. I faked it most of the time. <laughs> well, you faked it pretty well. I faked it completely. He's the music. He writes the songs. He plays every day. And I would just be like, okay, well, just show me where to put my fingers. And, you know, and I would get a ukulele because I was like, that was the easiest instrument I figured I could play. So I played the ukulele. And I, I remember in the beginning, I had this little belt with this little like tambourine on the side. I would smack around. And then so I would just do what he told me to do and just try and sing along and and then the bass, I love playing the bass. That was fun. But again, I'd make mistakes all the time. I, it was just, it was, it was fun. He was, he was so gracious. And so we would, uh, we just, we had a lot of fun. We went through so many, um, so many <laughs> incarnations of our little band. We started, we called ourselves Stella Soul, called ourselves Lord and Lady Ravenshire. Like we just went through all these incarnations trying to find that fit for, what we wanted to express. And then White Bird came and it just felt like the right. And then we did an album and we had met Lauren. We went on tour. It was lots of fun. Phoenix was like two and a half. And that was uh, that was an experience. And I think it's it's like most things when you have a romanticized idea of what it would be like to be on tour, be like to do something. And then you go and do it and you're like, wow, this is not at all how I thought it would be. It was, it was amazing. 
But I'm like, I don't think this would be the life I would want to live. So maybe you could uh, walk us through a little bit of what that tour did look like. So when you went on tour with... Uh, Lauren uh, Mann. Yeah, Lauren yeah, Mann. The, the lovely Lauren Mann. Lovely Lauren Mann. She's a, <laughs> oh, she's incredible. Yeah. Being, amazing songwriter. Amazing. So she was doing a tour and we were, we opened up for her and, and, you know, we would just show up different places and then people would bill at us and yeah, it was fun. We had so much fun. It was really an amazing time. But yeah, it was, it's life on the road with a child. When it was only a couple of weeks, I think I can't even remember. Okay, so it, was it, was a, so it wasn't a super long time, but it was just time enough to go. Hmm, I don't know if this would be a life that I would want to live. Yeah, I've talked yeah. to musicians, and it sounds like a grind. It sounds like yeah. it's uh, the the funnest part is playing and yeah. everything else around that. And really meeting difficult. people, talking to people—that was the most amazing to connect with people and that part of it. I loved so much, but yeah, it was interesting. Okay. And you guys played uh, numerous times on the island as yeah, well. Yeah, we too. have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And then and then it's funny to be like, and then we broke up. <laughs> the band broke up. But we didn't. So it's just funny. We just changed forms. We did an album, which, you know, it was an interesting experience, you know. Matt has written hundreds of songs. And part of me, I wish we would have done an album for each little um, section of music that he had written, just just to have a path to follow. But I think it's hard as an artist because you just want it to be so perfect. And then I think that can backfire sometimes and then you just don't end up doing anything because it's not the way you'd want it to be. And then life happens and you just move forward and, and do. But he's he's still always write songs and they're so amazing he's yep. just so brilliant matt is pretty amazing and oh brilliant. my goodness i feel so blessed he's incredible husband father musician drywaller he just he's you know some people are just so good at things <laughs> he's just one of those people that's so good at things. Ah, lucky guy yeah he, he is he's amazing and so the the love of music that uh, Matt has and mm-hmm. and uh, you share as well too led also to uh, an uh, idea that you guys were going to open a restaurant that also heavily focused on having music. Yeah, the restaurant it. was not ever an idea in our mind. Matt had an idea one day, and he said, "I had a vision of doing something down at Hope." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So we didn't even know. So we're like, "Okay, well, let's just." have some ideas and we thought so we opened up uh first gather we call it and that was um in the little front building it's the oh yeah i think the nature conservancy the nature conservancy yeah Yeah. that's what it is and um so we started there and um we just started a little shop with vintage and artisan and records and so we just wanted to do something unique and so we did that and then we thought well how fun would it be to be do an open mic on Thursday nights? And we're like, Thursday night seems like a fun night because it's a local night. And and we're like, it would be really great. The idea was is that we'll just, people can bring their instruments, strum along in the crowd, and we'll just like have a sing-along, play-along, fun time. So we started doing it. And as we we're doing it, all these people started coming out of the woodwork that had never performed before, never, but they love music. And so they would come and, and then we had like these award-winning musicians that live on the island that wanted to come play. And before we knew it, there was like over 200 people would come down on Thursday nights. And 
So then our friend, um, we're doing uh, the taco. So we're like, you guys sell tacos. And we had another friend that had a had their little bowler. And we're like, come on down and do your food. And and so it was really amazing. We had like a little six-year-old write a song. And she came up and sang to, you know, in their however old, just sharing parts of themselves. And it was just had so much value to it that it just felt so amazing and the restaurant was empty and uh and I just actually honestly remember walking and some people were interested in the restaurant and we're like okay and and I remember just walking on the land and said you know what god if you want us to do a restaurant we will do it never worked in a restaurant before never done anything and I said you know what and it no one came in. And then we're just like, you know what? Well, let's just start renovating a little bit. And so we talked to Sam and and it needed a lot of work. It rotted floors. There's a lot of stuff. So we just invested a little bit that we had and, and put into it. And then we're like, well, let's do something. But we wanted to, to do it around music because I'm like Thursday nights. And I, we just felt like what an amazing thing for the community to have a place to have music and and so we're like, and we started doing tea out of our little first gather. So we're like, okay, well, if we do a tea house, then we don't have to do food. <laughs> we're trying not to do food. So then uh, we were like, okay, do we do alcohol? Not alcohol? So we went through all this whole process. And we're like, well, if we have a little bit of wine or beer, it's nice to have something. So then we have to do food. And then we went through this whole, what do we even sell? How do we even do food? Like everything we just on the fly made up. So then we made up, you know, the galaxy bowls with veggies and rice. And, you know, we just, as we went, we really wanted it for the community. And, and then people were like, well, we want some meat. We're like, okay, well, we'll put meat on the menu. Like we just, but we, we did everything. Like we went to all the farms. Like, so on our days off, I would drive, we'd drive in, get the beer from the Brentwood Brewery. And and then we would go around Keating, I forget what it's called. And then we would go to all the farms and get the food and we got as much food from Raven Rock as we could and we wanted to support like the local Brentwood butcher, we'd get our meat and we just really tried to do local, sustainable um, food. And and then um, we were about to launch that fall, we did the year. We had amazing musicians come in. Everyone reached out for us to come play, which I thought was really cool. We didn't call anybody in except for one of our friends that we really... Um, Caleb Hart that we really loved and so Matt really created a room that was beautiful to um, listen to music in because doing the bit of touring we did and the playing it's like if the sound's not good as a musician it's just it doesn't feel as it's not as good of an experience as it can be so we got sound panels and really really listened to people because there's some people that'd be like I came here all the time and I couldn't hear because it was it was so loud and we're like okay well how can we facilitate that for people and so we put sound panels in and, and it just dampened the sound enough that it was an intimate experience. So everything we did, we just tried to to follow what, what we felt the community would really like and built a little stage and it was just amazing. Some of the nights there, we still have people come walk up to us with tears in their eyes and go, oh, thank you. Like we miss it and miss you guys so much. And just the way the room was set up, I just felt like you could be anywhere. Like you could be anywhere in the world. Like it, it was just this beautiful space that facilitated an experience that was out of your ordinary experience. And 
because we we would fit people in at tables that people didn't even know. And they you can see the awkwardness on like, I don't know these people. And then all of a sudden by the end of the night, they're friends and they were just connecting in a way that was beyond um, just a normal moment. And And it was just incredible. And it was so amazing, but so hard at the same time on us and as a family. And we just poured everything, heart, souls, every single ounce of ourselves into it. And, and it was amazing. And then COVID hit, we were going to launch our tea company. We were going to launch a jewelry company, all these things. We had all these ideas for um, retail and, and uh, all these shows booked and then COVID hit and we just knew we couldn't float, float it. We didn't have the means to, nor did we, we just couldn't lose our house over it. It was one of those things that we had to choose our family and yeah, well, it, it was a beautiful space and it was really very enjoyable to watch music there. But even backing up a little bit when you were talking about those Thursday night yeah. musical gatherings, there was such a buzz about oh those goodness. nights. Yeah. And it was because musicians had a place that they could go to and rely upon as yeah. like an outdoor open mic in the summertime to go play. And then when you said there was 200 people gathered there, that's a huge amount of people mm-hmm. to be down at a little Hope Bay yeah. area. There was a buzz amongst the musicians, amongst uh, people on the island. That was awesome for you mm-hmm. guys to do that. And then that, like you said, sort of paved the way for new ideas and new possibilities yeah. of creating the restaurant. But the restaurant was a huge amount of work. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. And we had a, a mentor that really helped us. And she was just so sweet. And she would just smile at me when I go, oh, and then I want to put this here and that. And I was just in such a world of like decorating it and making it feel beautiful. And she'd go, uh-huh. <laughs> she knew <laughs> it was just so funny and after I'm like oh my goodness she's like I know like <laughs> yes it's way more than you can ever imagine because we did everything ourselves we didn't have the money to pay for anybody so we had people volunteer and then so we would like I would get up and bake at five in the morning then I would cook the food thank goodness we had some helpers and then we would do our service then we would close then we would do all the dishes and then we would prep for the weekend shows. And then we would, I would cook for that. And thank goodness the help that we did have was just so good. Like we had such an amazing team. And then we'd be up super late. And then, up, you know, like it just was like the cycle that was, it wasn't sustainable at all. Sure. And so this next year I had my cousin was going to come. She was a chef. She was going to cook for us. And so we've started to implement like proper help for us because we couldn't maintain it. But I've never worked so hard in my whole life. And, you know, I was just, I was just <laughs> considering when you're uh, speaking about all that is that, do you have any advice for somebody who is going to start a restaurant in the future? Oh my might goodness. Be listening to this? You know, what's really funny is we went and talked to a couple that had a restaurant there in the past. And I said, so do you have any advice for us? And he just looked at me square in the eyes and he said, don't do it. <laughs> and I laughed and I was like, ah, you're so funny. I'm like, no, really? Like, do you? And he was like, no, seriously, don't do it. And so it was really, you know, I don't know. I I don't have no idea what I would say because we just honestly followed spirit the whole time. And I just felt like it was, we literally pivoted every moment. We had no idea what we're doing and we just wanted to run on generosity and, you know, and just ethics and just try and like support local food and, you know, and just, just do the best you can, right? Yeah. What's the thing you miss the most about that? Uh, you mentioned the music and those special oh, nights. Oh, I love the music. I miss 
hugging people and loving people. Like when we were building the front of the restaurant, we were drawing out drawings and Matt had it all closed off in the front. And I said, babe, like, no, you can't do that. I need a spot. I need a hugging corridor. <laughs> I need to like go through to hug people as they come. Cause I love, you know, I love people and I love hugging them. And I think the hardest part for me was first gather, I had time to really connect with people and chat with them and really hear their story. And I love that. And it was so busy. And I was in the back most of the time that I wanted to be there and, you know, but I'm at the cash register sometime. I'm like, oh, and I want to connect. And there's a whole line of people, you know, leaving the show and I couldn't, you know, connect the way that I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really miss that. I miss that. And then when COVID hit, people would look at me with this like horror in their eyes and go, oh, you're a hugger. And they're like, I can't <laughs> hug you. And I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, it's all right. Well, hugs but, are uh, socially acceptable now yeah, again. Yeah. But even like I said, now, you know, people come and some amazing musicians have been like, that was the best musical moments I've had was on that stage. And, and you know, and they would just be in tears. Like people just be like, oh. And I'm just like, wow, like that wasn't us. We'd, we had no skills in that way. I just felt like we were just so guided in a way that was beyond beyond our strength. We were, I mean, obviously skills, Matt's amazing and super skilled, but I don't yeah. know. Fair enough. Okay. Know, it was well, d- divine <laughs> connection yeah. that made it work. Yeah. Well, uh, here's to gather because uh, mm-hmm. it, it was a special little place while it existed. Well, I often think of that song. We're here for a good time, not a long time. So have a good time. The sun can't shine every day. Yeah. Because it was a season. It was only one year. Yeah. Like literally barely a full year for So it was just, it was interesting. Yeah. Well, my hat's off to you and Matt for uh, mm. for doing that. Uh, and something else I really want to get into and spend quite a bit of time with, if you're into it, is that mm. you you mentioned the word spirit and God, and I really want to delve into your philosophy, your experience in things that uh, you'd like to speak about in terms of um, the direction that uh, your, your life is on at this point, I guess, in terms of uh, spirituality. Right. Well, since my early 20s, I've been a spiritual person. I remember um, the book, The Celestian Prophecy, and there was sort of a a push at that time of different books that I was like, oh my goodness, like, I've always felt like there's something beyond myself, but I didn't know what it was. And I always have been a seeker of truth, Um, whatever that is, I didn't know. And when I was younger, even you know, delving in foolishness as a, as a young person, you know, looking for experiences, you know, my friends would be like, oh, you need to like laugh and have fun. And I would be questioning the universe and be like, what is the purpose? Like, why are we here? And they're like, why are you so serious? Like loosen up, you know, I'm like, no, like, why would you want to just laugh and be silly? Like, why are we here? Like what? And I've just wired that way. I don't know why. And um, so I've always seeked, and I think often when you're a seeker, you just fall into the new age because it's so available. And and I fell down the new age path, and and when I met Matt, we were both, you know, spoke that language. Like I've always had a part of myself I feel like I kind of hid in my relationships because I wasn't in a lot of spiritual um, circumstances with spiritual people, and so I felt I had a bit of a double life a lot of times. And then when I met Matt, we just started talking. And I'm like, you speak my language. Like, oh, my goodness. And he was in the same, read the same books. We're in the same spiritual path. And then on that journey, we were just so wide open. And and 
you know, I remember road tripping in Arizona, meeting this woman who was a mystery school teacher. And we're like, okay, well, sure. And, you know, shamanism, astral travel, like all the, we're like, we'll try it. We'll try it. You know, what did we do? We meditated morning, morning and night, making sacred circles that we'd meditate in. You know, we just, we try, we're just wide open. We're like, we'll try anything. Like, and there would be little threads of truth, but some of it were like, mm, no, that doesn't feel right. Like something's not, not right. And, and then I remember having Phoenix and, um, that was a really hard time with, for me. I was 40 when I had him. So I had a full life and we had a full relationship and, you know, we were just so in love. And even though, you know, relationships are hard, we just had a love that transcended anything I've ever known before. You know, I would always say like, this is what poetry is made of in movies. And like, it was just so amazing. Like we we're so connected on levels that I never thought possible. And, and then, you know, in my naivety I thought, oh, well, baby's going to just make everything that much better. We're going to be a little family and we're just going to be like so good. And then we had Phoenix and the pregnancy was amazing and had him. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is the best thing ever. And then then he would cry and cry and cry. And I'm like, oh, I just don't understand. I don't understand this. And then, you know, at the time it was really hard and and I really struggled with being a mom. And I felt really guilty about it. Every mom would know what I am talking about. It's like you get implanted with mom guilt as soon as you have a baby and because now you're responsible for this creature in this world. And and I, it was tough, and I would look at other moms, and they would look at their children in a way that I didn't understand, and they would just be so doting over them, and I'd be like, oh, like, I'm like, I would feed him. I loved him. I knew I loved him, of course, but I wanted to get away from him often because I wanted to go, we'd have band practice at our house, and I'd be like, hurry up and feed so I can go out there and play, and and so I can go do this thing, and I'd be like, oh, I'd be so frustrated, and I had a lot of anger towards him because I'm like, you're you're taking me out of my life. Like I've got a life to live and you're not fitting into it. And, and I would be so mad and I'd be mad at him and I'd be frustrated and, and everyone else looked like it was awesome. And, and I struggled so much and, and it was so hard. Yeah. And no one talked about it. So I'm like, I felt like I was the only one struggling and we didn't have family. And I'm like, it was, and I remember literally screaming at the top of my lungs, like, I hate being a mom. Like, why would anybody want to do this? Like, just didn't get it. And and I was, you know, still doing new age stuff. I knew, you know, I came to terms with the word God. It took me a long time to even move from the universe to God. And I knew God was there. And I don't really, and I always, you know, wrote my journal and I went through a so many different spiritual paths, but I just was like constantly seeking, seeking, seeking. And I was doing new moon group with a bunch of women and we'd do tarot cards and incense and, you know, just spend time, be like talking about what's going on spiritually. And, and, uh, and I was, I was going through a depression and, and then I remember Jesus came to me and it was so weird. And I was like, I saw him and he was there and I was just like, no, <laughs> you're not into you. I'm like, why? And I remember the next time we met, I said, girls, I'm like, oh my goodness, Jesus came to me. And I said, oh, why him? I'm like, why couldn't it be somebody edgy like Joan of Arc or someone, you know, like, because I'm, you know, I was like, I'm a wild woman, you know, women who run with the wolves. Like, I can't be tamed. I'm like, you know, edgy wild woman. And 
And I was like, nope. And I denied Jesus. And I was like, and then um, after that, I went through an even deeper depression. And I remember literally, symbolically, we had a room in the house and I painted it dark, dark chocolate brown because I felt like I was going into this dark, the darkest depths. And I needed to have a, a space to go into that place. And I just felt spiritually. And I went in there and I knew God was with me, but I didn't really understand. And I remember just sitting there staring at the window. And I remember Matt coming to me and being like, can I, what can I do to help you? I'm like, nothing. I'm like, leave me alone. And I would do just what I needed to do to get through the day. It was really hard. And then I remember, it was like right before Easter, and I remember a, a like the feeling of death and resurrection was upon me. And I was like, what is that feeling of death and resurrection? And I was like, Jesus, you're back. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, what is it about you? I don't know you personally. My grandma loved you. She would always say, God bless, and I'd feel super uncomfortable. I'd be like, okay, grandma, whatever. And I'm like, what is it about you? I'm like, I don't know you. I've tried everything, Course in Miracles, Mystery School, all these things. And I'm like, I had to really be honest with myself. And I was like, it's your believers that I have an issue with. It's not you. I don't even know you. But what I see is I see hypocrisy. I see people killing each other in your name. I see nothing but like horrific things happen because I just clumped it all together. I clumped Jesus in with religion, in with people, with everything. And I just threw all of that away. And I'm like, okay, I'm at the bottom. I've got nothing else. I've tried to do it. I can't do it. I denied you already. I'm like, what are my other options? And I said, okay, if I'm willing to try these all the all these other things, I will give you a chance, and I will give you a I'll give you a year of my life because that's what I would do. I give everything a year of my life. I'll give you a year of my life, but I'm like, you need to show up, and you need to like, you need to show me something. You need to like prove it, you know. And so I had this Bible. And I've always tried to read the Bible, flip it open, and nothing. I was like, I don't even understand this. And I flipped it open to this one place. And it's the first time the Bible ever spoke to me. And it said, if you only do these two things, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And I would always translate God with love. That word, God is love. Love God. Like whatever, love, love with all your heart. Love God, that creative that creative push that just makes everything grow. And I don't even know. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, okay. Well, I feel like there's the cliff notes of the Bible. But I was like, is there other versions of the Bible? Because if this is what everybody's reading, what is the problem? Like why, if it says love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor, what has happened? Why is the world the way it is? And religion has you know, been at the root of so many horrific things. Like, and so I, I just asked those questions and, and then I really felt guided to go to this um, course that a friend was doing. It was called Life's Healing Choices. And I was like, okay. And I felt guided to go there and, and uh, to go to this church gathering that we had gone in the past, but we were the new agers there. And and so I had left it at the time because I was like, where's the feminine in this? And that was when I was going through my depression. And 
And I remember going to this and the first thing was to write down what it is that you are carrying or you feel bad about or you feel shame about or, I mean, I've always been a self-help person. So I did landmark. I mean, I've done so many things to like deal with my past, deal with how I felt about things. So I felt I wasn't carrying a lot of baggage with me. And I sat there and I, I wrote out and it was probably the hardest thing for me to be honest was, um, my son. I was so mad at him that I felt like he took away my relationship because when you're married and you have a kid, you're like, you take him, you take him. Like there's so much of a dynamic that you don't expect to happen when things are really hard. And I was like, you took away everything. And I was like, I'm so mad and I'm so frustrated. And then all the guilt that went along with that to even speak that word that I was frustrated at that. And I just felt so selfish and it was horrible. And I felt so much shame about it. And I just said, you take this from me. And I just offered it up to him. And the very next morning I woke up and I went and I saw Phoenix and I looked at him for the very first time. <laughs> and I felt like such a cliche because I saw him as this divine creation that God had made and I loved him more than I've ever loved him before. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Jesus, you're real. You are a real presence that have just brought a miracle into my life in a way that is so tangible. You have given me my relationship to my son and I looked at him and I just embraced him. And I have loved him more than I've ever loved him since that moment. And at that time, I'm like, I, ha I, have give, I give it all to you, my life, everything. Like to, get, to have gotten that. I can't even describe it. And I just said, you're real. I'm giving you my life. And and that cliche of like, I was blind and now I see. And, you know, I'm like, I was blind. And he gave me sight. And he gave me a heart that, you know, he softened my heart and heart. And he, you know, and it's, it's not an easy journey because now I'm now I'm in a super controversial place in a way you know, that I wouldn't even want to call myself a Christian because of all the negativity around it. But I love Jesus with all my heart because I know that he is a real presence in my life. And and as we walk this walk, you know, to have a foundation of a rock and an anchor that is real, that I can stand upon in the hard times. And I know that he is with me and he is guiding me and he is I don't have to control everything. I can offer it over to him. And he leads me in ways that are more amazing than I could ever imagine for myself. First of all, uh, thank you very much for sharing all that. So many of the things that you just mentioned are difficult to say, I'm sure, mm. and to share. So thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you. Sincerely. Second of all, it's really amazing that story that you're sharing and then the depths that you found yourself in and then being able to come out into like a more beautiful place is really incredible. I'd like to know what transpired after that because you talk about you're in this controversial place and you don't want to call yourself a Christian necessarily. It's hard to, yeah. 
at the time, now I don't really care what you call it. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, and, and I think it's hard because when there's Jesus represented in your life, all the things like that I judged before, everyone judges that. It's like, oh, you're religious, you are against this, you're against that. I'm like, no, I'm a human being that has had a physical miracle happen in my life because of Jesus. And that's how I walk and that's how I want to live my life. And and when that happens and you accept Jesus into your life, the amazing thing happens is the Holy Spirit comes. There's your comforter and and he dwells inside your body and he dwells in your heart. And and then there's a struggle between your fleshy self and the spirit. And then there's the journey of sanctification where you start trying to lessen your fleshy self and surrender and let the spirit overtake and you know the fruits of the spirit being peace and joy and love and self-control and all the goodness and all the stuff and it's just like wow yeah I want more of more of that that's what I want in my life that's not my natural state my natural state is to be selfish and want what I want and and I just feel like you know walking in that path it's like I I choose that and and we have we have those goggles. We all have our goggles of our life experience, mm-hmm. and then we all see things through that place, right? Yeah. And then we're either offended or we're mad or we're thinking <laughs> something, right? But when you actually talk to somebody, you go, "Oh, you actually did that because of this." Oh, and then you're like, you get the real story, and then you're like, "Oh, I totally understand." Totally, I have those goggles as well too. Yeah, and we all do, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And this is uh, such a big part of doing this show is that I hope that this gives people an opportunity to take the goggles off while they're listening and yeah. really get to see yeah. a deeper version of people that live in our community and be able to understand through their experiences and their stories. Yeah, just yeah. just more about them. So, like a question I wanted to ask you was that in terms of being able to be moved by spirit, yeah, can you give an example or like how that actually manifests itself in the day to day reality? How you maybe feel a call to do something uh, and then you act on that? Um, there's an intimacy with God that happens like when you're alone. And I think that it's cultivating a relationship like any relationship. You spend time together, you talk with each other, you learn more about each other. You know, the Bible being a living word, I never understood it before until I read that scripture. And I feel like the Holy Spirit can open up scripture for you where you're like, oh my goodness, like now it makes sense in a way that it never made sense before you know you get a revelation and and god will call me into things sometimes where there was a season last year that he had me getting up at five in the morning spending time reading the bible and and i ha- i would get up and and uh spend that time and i would write in my journal and i would ask god questions and then i would write the full side of the page and then i would just make shorter sentences where I would feel like he would talk to me and he literally would give me advice on things and and I would just write and then I would ask questions and he would give me answers and and uh and then I would be writing poetry at that time as well and and I just feel like the intimacy grows the more that we spend time with him and I will hear him ask me things 
And I will, you know, like even I've heard him say, oh, you know, give this person some money. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and there's your flash, right? Going, I don't have money to give. Like, what do you mean, God? And God's like, well, just give this person. And then there's your choice, right? Like you choose to follow the spirit or you choose to follow the flesh. And I remember giving this person money. And I said, ah, here, I feel like I need to give this to you. And they're like, oh my goodness. I was just this morning talking to my husband about how I'm going to afford to do this thing that I really want to do. And this is like the exact amount of money that I need. Wow. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, and so I feel like, you know, they say like, it's such a, a still small voice. God's voice is so quiet. And I feel like God's voice is calling all of us. Like we're all his creation. He's like, he loves all of us. He wants all of us. It's like the more, you know, being a parent, I'm like, oh my goodness, I want the best for my child. I want, I want a relationship with my child. I want him to come and talk to me when, when he needs something and I want to love him and, and I have to set boundaries with him because like he can't just eat sugar all day long. I have to set a clear boundary, but I want the best for him, you know, and the more that I get to know God and, you know, I barely have touched the surface, I feel like. And, and I just feel like the more intimate I am with him, the more he shares with me and the more I surrender and allow the spirit to guide my actions. And I remember when I first became a believer, and we would have interactions. Matt and I are both fiery and we'd argue or whatever. And and I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to read the Bible. And But I remember in school when I was younger, we would say the Lord's Prayer in the morning time. And I remember the Lord's Prayer. And I remember going through it. And that was the only thing I knew. And I'd be like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And I remember when we would be arguing, and I'd be like, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And I would just like pray that over and over again because I wanted to lash out. I wanted to like argue and fight. And I was like, I don't want to keep perpetuating this cycle that we're going through, I want to be delivered from it. And so then the words became real. And all of a sudden, and then it was like, forgive my trespasses. I forgive those who trespass against us. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, wow, God gives us forgiveness to pass on, to forgive other people. Like there's this amazing world that opens up in scripture that is like a whole nother world. It's the kingdom of God that is like, wow, it is so mind-blowing that I'm like, I wish everyone can have a taste of this because who wants to keep perpetuating the same patterns and behaviors and banging our heads against the wall and the same fighting and the same addictions and the same, you know, it's just like, wow, like here's literally a narrow door to pass through into this vast abundance, this kingdom of love. And it's just inc most incredible thing ever. Yeah. You know what you're saying earlier about uh, we're all spoken to, I can think of just today alone, like a mm -hmm. handful of uh, times I've been met with uh, choices mm -hmm. and decisions I've mm -hmm. had to make as to like whether or not to uh, say this particular thing or do this particular thing already. You know, yeah. it's only like the mid-afternoon right now. Absolutely. And and uh, I, I feel like uh, when I act on 
this little voice that I feel is coming from like a higher spirit. That's the language I use now. I define it. It's such a more enjoyable, free flowing day that I have an experience Mm -hmm. with the world an experience with other people and just makes me feel so much better. But when I'm in resistance to that, because uh, I I have scarcity issues Mm -hmm. or I'm concerned that that's not the right thing to do or say, so then I don't, that resistance doesn't feel very good at all. Mm -mm. And so I agree with you that I think that it is heard. However, whatever language you choose to use, yeah. it is heard by everybody. Yeah, for sure. And that uh, I, I thank you for sharing your experiences and your thoughts on it mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's very important mm-hmm. for us as human beings to uh, to act upon that. But something else I wanted to touch on as well too. So you, you explained earlier that you spent so much time exploring different paths and modalities and then eventually – you settled into this experience of having a relationship with, with Christ. And so in terms of um, how that's unfolded for you, which you've explained, and then how is that unfolded within this community that we live in, in terms of the island? And so this is something that I have like a vague understanding of, but I would love to, to hear more and for other people to hear as well too, is that uh, the community that exists on Pender Island that uh, you have and Matt have uh, made yourselves a part of and what that community looks like a little bit. Right. We used to go to uh, the Hope Bible camp. We would have a church, a gathering, and that we would gather there. We weren't affiliated with the camp, but we obviously were because we were meeting there. <laughs> Everyone just puts it all together. And then, um, COVID happened and uh, everybody just kind of dispersed a little bit. Bobby and Linny, they ran the camp and then they they don't anymore. And there's other people running the camp and things have just been changing. And so we were away during COVID and, and we really missed meeting together. There's something that comes together when you worship and pray and just come together. And so Matt just uh, felt a calling to uh, meet. So and he really felt the need to do it at the community hall. So it was somewhere that was a, a neutral territory. There's a lot of people that have been hurt by the church that have brought up a certain way or, you know. And uh, he just was called to meet there. So we started meeting on Sundays at 1030 upstairs at community hall. And so we've just started, you know, just with emails, our little group, and a few people have come. and and um I just saw this winter, I felt like God just placed on my heart, there's a light in the darkness. And I just said to Matt, I said, babe, I just feel like people need to know that there's a light in the darkness because it is a really dark time for a lot of people, anxiety and a lot of things going on. And and the Pender post was all booked up and it happened to be a friend of ours had uh, pre-booked a couple January and February. And I said, I just, I just see like a light in the darkness. I don't know what that means, but you know, Matt, he'd always make our posters. So he does all the stuff. He's like, okay, well, let's take out an ad just to, cause I just had this vision, like it was on the back cover and I just, you know, someone in this dark, dark place, just looking over and seeing there is a light in the darkness and the scripture is there's a light in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. And there is a light in the darkness. And then um, we have Februarys and and then, you know, another thing, like you're saying, when you go against that voice or whatever, and, and you know what Jesus says, he's like, I, my peace I leave with you. 
I leave my peace. And I'm like, ah, we're lacking peace. I don't know many people that have peace in their hearts. You know, even believers have a hard time sometimes to really surrender that flesh over to really let the spirit in because it's peace. And uh, so we just gather on Sundays and, you know, 10 o'clock, people want to come for coffee, 10.30, start. We sing worship songs and have a lesson. Matt will teach something or Bobby or, and then we have a, a, a sharing time, which is really important where people share what's going on in their life or maybe how God's speaking to them or, and it's cool to see uh, the woven thread of God throughout our conversation on how he's moving and, and changing people's lives. And then we do communion every week, which is, um, you know, what uh, Jesus on his last day um, did communion with his disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me. And it just feels like that thread from 2000 years ago of, of that he has left um, in our hands to do together. And it's in remembrance of him. And, and it's a, a covenantal connection with each other. You know, they, it's sort of called the body of Christ, which is his church. And when you think about a body, you know, there's an ear and your nose and your heart and your eyes. And, and we all are a different part of the body. But we all come together and we make one body. And that's what it feels like on Pender. There's the community church. There's the Anglican church. And there's all these churches. And I'm like, I feel like we're all one. We're all together. And so we may meet in separate places, but we all interact in ways that are, you know. So, And then we have a potluck every week. With like, I try and make enough food for everybody, um, even if someone can't bring anything, but to come and eat together. And then we eat together and having that fellowship together every week where we get to have food and conversation and know that you're not alone. We're here and we love you and we're doing life together. And that's what I feel like we're called to do in a community is to do life together. But we do it in, in a spiritual way where Christ is at the center of our, you know, well, right? We're all coming to this well for living water that literally is life-giving, you know, it's the most tangible life-giving thing I've ever experienced. And, you know, and whoever feels that call, it's like we're, we're there for them. You know, I think it's important. That's amazing. That's amazing. I was just thinking, you know, while you were speaking about the uh, the vulnerability that comes within all of this. And so for myself, I've come to realize uh, somewhat recently that I'm at odds with vulnerability. I mm. love talking about vulnerability, <laughs> but actually participating in it, I shun because right. it's hard. And so in terms of you and Matt starting this and then encouraging people to come and then sharing that space and the music and the time together. It seems like there's a significant amount of vulnerability, but there's a lot of payoff to it, it sounds mm -hmm. like to me. Oh my goodness. Yes. It is amazing to just see people's lives being transformed and just even praying together and praying for each other, you know, to know that there's somebody out there praying for you. And it's, it's incredible. And that's where you were talking about earlier, like, you know, how do you experience the spirit? It's, you know, we'll be worshiping and then all of a sudden there's just a shift in the atmosphere where you can just sense it's just different. I don't know. You sense it with music, right? Like 
all of a sudden everyone's connected to the song or there's something, there's a external presence that is just everyone sort of, I don't know how to describe it. And it just shifts the energy and then there's a, uh, it, it moves you in a way that, that it's hard to understand. And, and some people are uncomfortable by it. You can see there's an agitation sometimes. I think the spirit sometimes brings up uncomfortable things and can be a little bit unpredictable in, in a way that um, it's predictable. I think our, maybe our reactions to it are unpredictable. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone can sense differently, right? Like I'll walk into a room. I, I'm a, such a feeler that I'll connect with people and be like, oh, like I'll feel something under the surface or I feel like I just feel rooms and I feel people. And some people are like, what? I don't even know what you mean. And walk into a room and be like, I don't sense anything. I'm like, whoa, there's something. I can sense something here. So everyone is different in their gifts, right? They're different. Uh, so to have people come in with their gifts and just share parts of who they are. And, and we're not meant to do life alone. I think we're meant to do life together. And it feels better together. And we were like that at Gather. Like we're better together. That's why we gather, you know, is and those tangible moments I think were so spirit filled, but it wasn't there wasn't a name for it. It wasn't church, but it felt spirited there too. And I think that's why people were so touched by it. Like people would just walk into the room and they were like, I don't know what's going on, and they just would weep. And I would walk around that room praying and anointing it and just like, you know, I just the spirit dwelled in that room. And I feel like where we go and, and come together and pray together and and, and uh, the Holy Spirit's with us, you know, when Christ is at the center. Well, I love how activated you and Matt both are with taking on different projects and and uh, just jumping in with both feet to different things, whether it be music <laughs> or a restaurant or, or or this particular situation, which yeah. which sounds really nice. And so uh, this episode is going to be coming out in April, but I would imagine mm -hmm. still in April you're probably mm -hmm. going to keep going. We'll be there till June for sure, and then we'll reevaluate where we end up or we continue on there. I mean, some Sundays it's booked. You know, like especially during choir, you know, so we have to spring choir, we'll have to move somewhere. Sometimes we'll just host it at our house. And maybe in the summer we might just do, you know, and in, in a garden somewhere. We'll just see what what comes about. Yeah. And so if anybody's interested, then that's, uh, you said it was 1030 on Sundays yeah. at the community so, hall. Yeah. And we're calling ourselves the common table because we all, so many of us come from different, maybe religious backgrounds, not religious backgrounds, but doctrinal backgrounds. People have so many different opinions on scripture and how they think it should be interpreted that we just come, Christ is the center, and we all come to this common table. And uh, there, I think there is even um, an email, commontable, gmail.com, I would guess. I'm not sure exactly, but okay. does all that. But yeah, you can well, find us if yeah. you need to find us. Yeah, and it's, it's nice for people to know. It's nice yeah. because you know, we, we were talking earlier, we were having a nice conversation. My wife, Geneva, was here too. And, uh, you know, I think we all very strongly agreed that a lot of people are having a hard time right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My heart aches to think that people are alone going through these hard times and thinking that they're the only ones. Like, I remember even just going through the hard time as a mom and being like, I'm the only one going through this. And you just feel so guilty and alone. And it's like, you're not alone. Like, there's people out there that love you and, and God loves you. 
Like, and, and it's hard because there's so many things around it that aren't the truth that, you know, we're so filled. And I think that happens where we're so filled that we can't learn anything um, new. You know, we're talking about goggles, right? Like, mm-hmm. we see through, like, can we empty our cup with what we think that we know? And can we just keep that cup empty and let spirit or something beyond ourselves? And and it's not like we have do have to be careful because there's a whole other spiritual part of the world that there is a lot of darkness spiritually. You know, there is, I you know, I believe the enemy that does want to separate, create confusion, you know, oppression. You know, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, you feel it. It's really... You know, the spirit of offense. There's a lot of like intensity out there that, you know, this, the Holy Spirit and God really want us to come together and have peace and joy and love. And, you know, I think, think there's an enemy out there that just wants to divide and separate and hurt. And, and that's sort of what it feeds off of, you know, I always think of like, feeding off of something, right? Like there's the goodness that feeds off love and then there's the darkness that feeds off anger and anxiety and depression and it loves loves it when we're stuck there. Yeah. But God's like, no, there's a light, there's peace, there's a light in the world. There's like, I love you. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. I made you in my image, our image, it says in the Bible. When I read that, I'm like, our image? You know, it's all like, it's not this man up in this cloud that's like wanting to come and like smite you for your sin. Like, and I think a lot of people think that, like he's ready with his wrath to like take you out. I'm like, oh my goodness. When I found out like, you know, sin is like literally an archery term, meaning missing the mark. I'm like, oh my goodness. I've never heard this before. Isn't that hilarious? Like I'm like, here I'm like the scary sin is like this big religious word. I'm like, no, it's literally an archery term, meaning not hitting the bullseye or missing the mark. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, we all do that. <laughs> you will be punished. I know, for not right? Like the punished. Bullseye. But you know, it's funny because it's like the punishment is our own, like you said, when I don't follow the path to peace, mm-hmm. we know the punishment is like anxiety, all that stuff kind of comes. Like it's like there's this flow of this river. And we hold on to the rock and we're getting smashed by the water. That's a punishment. It's not like someone's punishing us. It's like we're literally punishing ourselves by holding on to the rock. Right. But if we let go of the rock and flow in that living water, we're like, ah, it's peaceful. Oh, my goodness. This is like a whole new world. It's like, ah, this is wonderful. And there's other people in this beautiful living river of water and it's like oh here's this kingdom of god that exists that is like amazing you know yeah you know you said earlier god loves you and Mm -hmm. i actually had a a ripple go through my body of something that didn't feel very good yeah and it's because just hearing those words yes it it landed with such uh discomfort for me because i think that uh I like to think I'm like a lot of people. I I, I think that we're very similar, all of us. And obviously we're unique individuals, but I think there's a lot of similarities and through lines through us. But uh, it's difficult to really have acceptance for being loved. I mean, as as like ridiculous as that sounds, it's actually hard to do. It's way more easier to be outraged at something. 
and take offense and be pissed off, but Absolutely. to be like, oh, I, I, I'm going to receive love right yeah. now. Mm-mm. And uh, I, I was just like, I was amazed that that was the feeling that came up in my body when you said, yeah. God loves you. I yeah. was like, what? I'm not ready to be loved. No, <laughs> It's true. And I remember like I started a, a blog or something, you know, I half start things all the time. And it was like called journey to the G word because I couldn't even say God. I couldn't say that word. Mm-hmm. It was so, I was so triggered by it that I'm like, I can't even use that word. And I, and it's just, and then when I read like Matt and I, our journey, we always knew love was the answer. We'd sing about love. Like everything was of love. Even when we put our album out before we were fully, like we were believers, but you know, not completely, but we would sing about the Holy Spirit. Like we wanted to follow, like we knew God was love, you know? And then I remember being traveling in Thailand and I remember, you know, if you've had a dream that was more like a, like, I feel like I was taken into the universe. And I remember I had a question and I was like, I could ask a question. I was like, what is the answer to everything? And it was a resounding love. Love is the answer to everything. And I was like, yes, I know that. I feel that in my entire being. But I have tested Matt, my whole relationship, even unconsciously. Do you really love me? Am I really lovable? And I think that's such a big question in our hearts. Are we really lovable? And that is probably the hardest thing because the love that we relate to is a human love and we have been hurt and there's strings attached to human love and there is so many things wrapped around it that it is way more painful than it's worth you know but god's divine love is patient he's so patient and loving and he's waiting for us with open arms he's like i love you and i'm just waiting patiently for you I'm calling out your name. I'm knocking on your door. I'm just waiting for you to open the door and let me into your heart. That's it. And that is life-changing. But how do we get past that visceral experience of, whoa, no, that's way too close for comfort. I can't let that into my heart. What's going to (laughs) happen if I realize how lovable I am, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I super appreciate you talking about these things. And, you know, like uh, for for myself, I have an aversion. And uh, I was really looking forward to having this conversation with you and recording this for other people to hear as well, too, because I think that this is really important. All the things that you're saying just resonate so well with me. And I, I don't have a relationship with organized religion or with God per se, but I, I think it's fascinating to hear mm-hmm. about uh, someone's individual experience and what they're perceiving and people that they're connecting with and just to hear a different uh, take on things and mm-hmm. and uh, all the things you're saying really, really uh, add up and make a lot of sense. And uh, before we uh, shift gears into a different uh, subject, is there any uh, last thing that you want to say about all this? Well, I think... I wish I wish there was a like I cleave away religion from God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, because I think that a lot of religion has been so corrupt. And when people put it all together and they're like, well, look what happened. I'm like, those are human beings that did those things. And when I read 
read in the Bible and was like, love God with all your heart and love each other. I'm like, that is not love. That is not love. Love. And, and I think it's in James in the Bible is like, they will know you by how you love each other. That's it. And how, how do you cleave religion from that place? I don't know. Like, that's where I feel like the more I talk to believers and I hear their experience, I'm like, wow, you had a miracle from God and you now have given your life over to it because you know that that's real and that's tangible. And you know, in your day, when you take time to pray and to, to dwell in the presence of the Lord, your whole day is transformed. And when you choose not to, or say you're busy and life happens, all of a sudden, like, what's going on? Why am I so out of balance? It's like, ah, because I haven't like hooked in to that place, right? Where it's like the matrix, right? You take a pill, you know, and then you unlock into this place and you're like, wow, like you start seeing things through new eyes and, and it's not always good. It's not easy. You know, sanctification, when you're having to carve these things out of your heart, you know, like you're getting pruned those behaviors and those patterns that are so fleshy and hurtful, we all have them. That's part of, you know, the human nature. But when you start to really honestly do that and you become submissive to a higher power and a higher place, it's like, wow, this is way better. But it's not easy to be submissive to anybody or anything, especially nowadays. That's like a really hard thing to even say let alone to allow, you know, because we were talking about that earlier, like how scary it is to the unknown, right? If we actually try and unclench our fists to try and uh, loosen the grip on our own lives to allow, you know, the divine to come in, what is going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. This is from when we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. I was mentioning to, uh, to share just for the listeners that I was saying that, uh, like, I feel like I've been hanging on to life, like so rigidly to the point it hurts. And like the idea of just letting go, uh, is so terrifying mm-hmm. because what comes after you let go. And mm-hmm. I've, I've had experiences in my past where I have let go and great things have actually happened. And, and you actually replied to, in terms of letting go and uh, having a net mm-hmm. come in. Take the leap and the net will appear. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. from the artist's way years ago. And it always has appeared. Take the yeah. leap and a net will and appear. And the net will appear. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's a good one to remember. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write that down on the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and that's what I was saying. Like I had a vision, you know, of blackness and, you know, God guiding me to take a step. And I would take a step and all of a sudden there'd be a stone pillar under my foot. And then I'm taking another step into the darkness. And I'm like, okay, God, I don't have no idea. And then bang, another stone pillar. And it's like, we don't often see the outcome, but when you walk in obedience, all of a sudden, all these pieces come together and the bigger picture of this beautiful tapestry unfolds. And you're like, oh my goodness, I never could have seen that or planned that. Like, you know, and we often talk, it's like, it's the God that created the whole universe, who created photosynthesis, who the moment the little heartbeat starts beating when you were just cells, you know, like that place that just wants to move and grow and flourish and 
divine beauty. You watch, look at the sunset and the world is beautiful. It really is. Beautiful. And don't we want more of that beauty? Don't we want our hearts to reflect more of that beauty? Don't we want our relationship to reflect more of that beauty? Like, to me, I just feel like, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I want that. It's true. Like, it's true. You know, I yeah. want beauty. Like That's great. Um, let's take a step way mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. And uh, where did you grow up, Cher? Where did you grow up? Oh, I um, I was born in Calgary. My dad was in the RCMP. And um, so we traveled. We moved around a lot. The story goes that my dad said that I went to a new school and I walked up to the teacher and I said, oh, don't bother getting to know me because we're just going to move again. <laughs> I think his heart was like, oh my goodness, like this isn't good. So uh, we ended up, um, he, in Central Saanich, he became a police officer there and uh, he would commute actually. I lived in Shawnigan like from grade three to grade seven, I guess, and then went to uh, Stelly's in grade eight, maybe a year before that. But yeah, so I went to high school in Brentwood Bay, and um, and your dad was an RCMP officer. He was, and then he became a police. He was in the army. I come from an army family. Okay, years. What of, I did not know this. Yeah, my oh. dad in the army. My grandpa, my great grandpa. It's like history of of being a a battler. Was that <laughs> was that something that was uh, impressed upon you as a future path for yourself? Of no, possibly going into the military. Me, no, 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 no. But your dad, did he present that as a possibility or no. say you're not going to do that? No, no. It just never. I When I was younger, when we lived in Shawnigan Lake, we had a couple hairdressers live across the street, a married couple, mm-hmm. and uh, had a business. I think they owned a salon together. And, and I was like, oh, I just want to be a hairdresser. I don't know why. So then I just was like, I don't even need to really try in school too much. <laughs> I just got, you know, basic grades. And I was like, what do I need to do to be a hairdresser? And then I just did an apprenticeship in Brentwood Bay and- and then so I did that when I was 17 because I graduated at 17 and then been doing hair ever since. Okay. So Phoenix. So mm-hmm. that was my journey. And so you've been cutting hair since the age of 17. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, so time. So I did a two-year apprenticeship and yeah. then went into the – and I've worked many salons. Like there's a salon downtown called Fish on Broad Street. Like I did the downtown thing. Yeah. Did the, you know, rent a chair thing. Did the home basement you know, in my own home thing. Okay. Well, I love talking about people's careers and hearing about experiences and things that they've learned along the way. But mm-hmm. what was it about hairdressing that you enjoyed? And also, maybe what are some of the things about that career that people might not know exist from behind the scenes you can share with people? Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the connection with people. You know, I did a lot of traveling and leaving my clients, and that was really hard. I really missed them. Because they were, you know, every four to six weeks, like I would connect with them and I knew their life and their families and, you know, it, you just become intertwined in their lives. And, and it's always hard to leave that behind, actually. Um, but in, I don't know. Well, but like relationships, that's kind of interesting. So people would come in on a regular basis yeah. and you could get yeah, to like Yeah, like we form. were really part of like, felt like they're part of my family in a way because they were. Yeah. Because, I mean, they would share intimate things and their family and their life. And, you know, there's, what do they say? You know, like hairdressers and bartenders and whatever. It's like you become that person that they can confide in and, and connect with. And I always appreciated that connection. But it, I mean, the harder, the hard part is like people that maybe feel like they, they are losing control in their lives 
feel like, you know, their hair is the only thing that they can control. And then there's this weird dynamic around their hair that, you know, it's like can be a little bit unsettling <laughs> for, you know, it's it's an external thing, but it is can be important at the same time, you know. Well, it's super emotional as well, too. Yeah, like, for I, sure. I know that uh, I don't really have much hair, and I haven't had a uh, a traditional haircut in many, many years. It's just yeah. go into the bathroom and buzz yeah. it down. But I know from uh, women in my life that it's it's a very emotionally charged thing. Yeah, it's identity is, you know, when you identify with your hair. And I've shaved my head a few times, and it was so freeing because I'm like, oh, no hair. Like, you know, you don't have to worry about it. And then there's this freedom that comes because you realize how much is tied to your hair, how people treat you differently, how there's a whole thing about it. People treat you differently oh based goodness. on how your hair oh, is. Oh, absolutely. If you have long hair opposed to a shaved head, you get <laughs> treated totally differently. Right. <laughs> and like it's just because you think there again, there's a goggles, right? You yeah. perceive someone as being, you know, if oh. someone's got a shaved head and tattoos and someone with long hair and no tattoos, you're you just kind of through that filter, relate to them in different ways and you don't even realize it. Well, what were some of the clear differences you experienced uh, having a shaved head versus having long hair in interactions with people? You get looked at differently. You know, I think even just being a woman with long hair, I think men just look because it's long hair. I don't know. And with a shaved head, it's just a different reality. I'm too old for that now, so I don't even notice. (laughs) It's funny because as I go forward in my life, I just... Whatever happens in the past, I just forget about it. Like, okay. I don't know. I'm just like here now doing what I'm doing. I'm like, I don't even remember what it was like back then. It's interesting. No, it, and fair yeah. enough. It was a long yeah. time ago, right? Yeah, Like really if somebody was asking me what I was feeling and thinking when I was in my 20s, I yeah. would have a hard time really. Yeah, it's hard, right? It's, yeah. You know. Well, to bring this uh, interview full circle, this one I kept in the back of my mind from the very beginning. What was the music festival you and Matt met at? <gasps> Oh, in um, Ukulet, Soundwave it was called. And that summer I was single for the first time in a long time and I was loving being single. And I was supposed to go to the Courtney Music Festival with a friend of mine. And I had seen this thing for Soundwave and I don't know why, but I had this calling. I'm like, I had to go. And I, my friend was so mad at me and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, I have to go to this. I don't know why. And as I'm driving up, I'm like, I love being single. I want to be single forever. It's so awesome. And I'm, and then I, and then in my mind, go well. If I did meet somebody, I'd really like to meet somebody who knew music, and I would really like to learn about music. And you know, I'm just you know have these conversations in your head. And I get there, and and he was one of the first people that I'd met, and we just started talking. And it was funny because I was like, hey, in the back of my car, I've got like all these raw food treats and fruit from the farm. Do you want to come? And like, you know, so he's like, okay. So we start walking and like literally as we're walking, I just kept like falling into him. There's this like weird magnetic, like physical magnetic charge that pulled me and I kept banging. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I keep like banging into you. I'm really sorry. And uh, and we get there and we're just like in the backseat, the giant cooler in the back. He's on one side. I'm on the other. I'm really eating all this fruit. And then we're literally talking about, what's your dream? My dream is to have a house on an island. And I'm like, oh, really? A house on an island? Me too. With a rain barrel. With a rain barrel? Me too. And then he's like, and a whole bunch of kids. I was like, oh. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's too bad. I'm not having children. (laughs) Because I was 37 when I met him. 
and he was 28, so he was quite a bit younger than me. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's too bad. And then the next day, um, he had found a place because I needed a place to uh, camp at. And he's like, oh, right next to us, there's a a free camping place. So like, oh, perfect. So I camped there and we chatted all night, went to my tent, and he went to, he's staying in his van. And then the next morning, there was this little, this little note he left, and I still have it. It says, you know, me, Casa, you, Casa, um, that was an epic night, you know, talking for sure. And he had, he had set up a fire without starting it with a little a lighter on top of it for me to just start. And he was doing parking. That was how he was volunteer parking to be there. And I, and I was like, Oh, I got him a coffee and I walked up and just as I walk up, he's like, there she is. And he goes, I was just writing a song about you. And I'm like, what? You're writing a song about me? And so we were just chatting and then we just started talking and we're both like fair skinned. So we're like hiding in, in the trees to try and get some shade. And then all of a sudden we touched hands and there was a shock that went through both of our bodies and we pulled our hand away and I'm like, did you feel that? And he's like, did you feel that? I'm like, oh my goodness. And so we're both just like, you know, and then the next day I had to go, oh, I'm sorry. I have to be honest. I'm not having children. <laughs> I've decided not to have children. And he's like, that's okay. I don't care. I want to be with you. And then the prophecy happened. <laughs> and then of course we had a child and the rest is history. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. There she is. With I was the, just writing the song about you. I know. I was like, and and it was funny how you take things for granted because you wrote so many songs about me. I'm like, oh, another love song about me. Oh, and you know, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, and then years went by and he didn't write one about me. And then he I'm like, I had no more love songs about me. But he just gets inspired by lots of different things. Then uh, when he does, I'm like, oh, there's a love song. So sweet. That's awesome. Share yeah. seriously, like there's so many good you're such a great storyteller. Oh my goodness. You, you really you're are. Too kind. Too Sincerely. Kind. Really great story. So uh so we're gonna wrap this up, but before we do, I'm gonna get the last word to you. And that uh is there anything that you want to say that you didn't express or share and you can take your time as long as you need? Mm-hmm. Anything that you uh you feel like you wanna end off with? Mm-hmm. I think I really want people to know that they are loved, as hard as it is to hear that. That God loves them so much and that there is a world that exists outside of the pain and it's available to every single person and I'm not one to judge anyone's life that's not my place but I love people so much and I want to embrace everyone in a hug and just tell them that you are loved it's okay and you're not alone you are not alone and that we're here. No, God's here. He's right there, like right next to you. He's in your heart. He's in every breath. The Holy Spirit is there. All right. How about that? Thank you very much to share for doing that interview with me. Thanks to Ben McConkie as well, too, for providing the theme music to this podcast. And thank you for listening. Until next time.